Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to summertime. Isn't it nice? Welcome to Union Chapel. So glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go back to Romans chapter 8 this week. We're talking about self-identity, self-awareness, self-esteem. I mentioned last week that I think the most important relationship you have, we have, in our lives is the relationship with ourselves. If I rightly relate to myself, that enables me to rightly relate with God and others. I also mentioned last week that if I had the power to give you one thing, it would be the ability to believe about yourself what God believes about you. Because the truest thing about you is what God says about you, right? You agree? Truest thing about you is what God says. If you could absorb that, assimilate that, believe that, I think it would uh, change everything. I read an interesting article uh, recently that indicated that the average American has 600 negative thoughts about themselves every day. 600. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? I wonder where all that's coming from. The Center for Disease Control in Atlanta reports that one out of every three Americans believe that they are ugly, physically ugly. Let's just, let's take the survey right now. Let's try it. Okay, here we go. Look at the person on your right. Go ahead. The person on your right, are they ugly? No, they're not ugly. How about the person on your left? Are they ugly? No, they're not ugly. Well, one out of three. <laughs> I know. If you have your Bibles uh, open, we're going to read from chapter 8 of Romans. The first two verses and the last two verses of this chapter, if not, we'll project the words on the screen for you. Our custom is to stand to honor God's word, so as you're able, would you please? This is the Apostle Paul now writing the church at Rome, a great theological treatise. And he writes, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Everyone say that, no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now down to verse 38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That last phrase again, will be able to separate us, say separate, separate. will not be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now may God inspire his word to our hearts. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Let me show you another verse of Scripture. It's a, it's, a, it's a brief verse in Proverbs 23, verse 7. But look at what it says. Very important. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, that doesn't mean if you think you're smart, you'll be smart. Or if you think you're creative, you'll be creative. Or if you think you're athletic, suddenly you become athletic. But it does mean that as a person thinks within themselves, about themselves, and their intrinsic value, so that person will become. So what you believe about yourself is the way you will actually express yourself in the world. You actually become what you think you are. And what God wants to remind you of is that God wants you to think of yourself in very important ways. This is such an important subject. I, I, wanna, I want this message today, by the way, this is not a three-point homiletical sermon. 
uh, today. I, when we finish, I hope you just get one thing. When you leave, you've got one thing in mind. And the reason I'm mentioning to you that it's not a three-point homiletical is because I want you to know that I know the difference. In case you're wondering. Would you allow me to pray for us? Because th this is such an important message so that the effect of this prayer may, may add to the value of your experience. Let's pray just a moment. Lord, we thank you for your word today. So rich, inexhaustible, infallible, insightful. From it, oh God, we pray that you would communicate to us deep unto deep, spirit to spirit. That, that you would go past the cognitive past the emotional, past the physical, to the place that we so rarely access, our heart of hearts. May we change the way we think about ourselves. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. Now, there's a great little play called The, the, the Queen of the Stardust Ballroom. Some of you have maybe read the play or heard about it. It's the story of a late middle-aged romance between two people who have both lost their spouses, a widow in her late 50s and a man in his early 60s. And in the play, there's a brilliant little exchange, a little conversation, a repartee. And as they're talking, he is very well-spoken. He's very articulate. And he's a mail carrier by trade. And at one point, she says, you don't seem like a mail carrier. And he responds, what do you mean? And she says, you don't seem like a postman. To which he says, a mail carrier is not what I am. That's just what I do. Now, now let, that, just let that soak just a little bit. Now, for people in this room right now, I'm going to give you permission to do something. Starting today, starting right now, you have the opportunity, I'm giving you permission to separate what you do from who you are. Because what you do is not who you are. It just isn't. And you need to come to terms with that because if you don't, you'll be destined for a life at some point, a life of pain and disillusionment. See, a high school or a college student is not a, a sufficient definition to explain who you are. You, you may be a musician of concert quality. Great skill, great gifts, but that's not who you are. You may be a business person, a teacher, a technician, a manager, a laborer. Those are things you do, but it is not who you are. You may be the most skilled teacher, the most skilled physician in the state of Indiana, but it is not who you are. See, an accident could leave you unable to perform a particular talent or exercise a particular skill but it wouldn't change who you are. Listen to this now. Apart from your abilities, apart from your talents, and apart from your inabilities, and apart from your disabilities, there is a person in there, a real person, who lives and moves and has its being. You are not those things. Your abilities do not define you, and neither do your disabilities define you. I want you to consider a house today. It has a floor, a foundation, a floor. It has a roof and has some walls. I want you to see a house. On your outline, you'll see the first thing. We want to talk about the floor. And what you want to write in your, on your notes is no condemnation. That's the floor. No condemnation. There's this room. You find yourself inside of this house. You're standing on a floor, on a firm foundation. 
And that's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is where we stand. God has put our feet on a firm place. The Bible says that he has set our feet in a broad place. In other words, he's given us a place to stand. There is firm footing. There's firm foundation there. It's not wobbly. It's not, it's not cracked. It's, it's not uncertain. It is stable in every way. And we can stand there with absolute certainty. And the floor upon which we stand is the floor of no condemnation. Now, in case you don't make the connection between no condemnation and who you believe yourself to be, watch this. What it means is that I am not my past. I'm not my past. My past is gone. The Bible says that God separates us from our past. He buries our past in the, in the bottom of the sea. He separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. This is the great promise of God, that he takes that which, which, which damages and separates us from God, our own sin and rebellion, and he separates us from it. God has this amazing capacity to forgive us and to forget what we've done. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So where I stand as a Christian person is on the reality of no condemnation. Now, the Bible, the Bible actually describes, describes an accuser who comes to us to try to dissuade us from this basic truth of no condemnation. And the devil is described as the accuser of the brethren who accuses day and night. And not only does the devil accuse us before, before God, look what she did. Look, God, what he said. Look how they behave. Constant ac accusation. Not only does the devil accuse us before God, but the devil accuses us before ourselves, right, in our face. In fact, the devil actually operates sometimes in our thoughts, and it actually comes through us as first-person singular. I'm no good. I'm a failure. I always make mistakes. I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to make it. And these thoughts come to us all the time. In fact, you look yourself in the mirror in the morning, you go, boy, what a mess. I can't believe, I can't believe how I reacted to that person yesterday. I can't believe how how selfish I was. I can't believe how, how pitiful my, my judgment was against that person. And we hear these words and we hear these voices. And this is the, this is the approach, the attack of the enemy to try to dissuade us from believing about ourselves what is, what, what is most true. So therefore, watch this. You have to know. You have to know where you stand with God. Or you'll lose this internal battle of ac ac accusation. You'll, you'll lose it and you'll re resort, revert back to old patterns and old voices and old things that have happened in our past that will dissuade you from believing the truest thing about you. And so, and so you have to embrace the truth of Romans 8.1. You have to stand there. That's where you stand. Now here's some tips with the devil. You can't win a physical battle with the devil. You can't win an intellectual battle with the devil who is the accuser of the brethren. You simply have to know where you stand with God. Let me say it this way. To the degree to which you understand your relationship with the finished work of Christ in your life is the degree to which you will have victory over the accuser of the brethren. So you have to look back in the mirror and say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You can accuse me all you want. In fact, you may even accuse me of things that are actually true. I, I do mess up. I'm not perfect. I do fail. 
But here's what I know. I stand on the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to me or anyone else who is in Christ. That's the truth. So here's, here's the statement I want you to see on the screen. Your self-definition then begins with the finished work of Christ. You are not what you have done in the past. Hear this as well. You are not also what someone else did in the past. That's not who you are. You are not your parents' sins. The story of James Robison, he's a Christian evangelist, man of God. Maybe you've heard his story. He, his conception was the result of a rape. His mother in her 40s was the nurse caregiver to an older man. And one night that man's son came home drunk and raped his father's nurse. She conceived as a result of that, race, uh, that rape and refused the course of abortion and turned the child over to a pastor couple to raise. And James Robinson is the product of that sequence of events. Fascinating story. James Robinson today rightly says, none of those things is who I am. Those are things people did. It's not who I am. Now listen to me. I don't know who's sitting here today. I don't know your story, not all of you. I don't know what outrageous things have been done to you in your life, against your life. I don't know who hurt you. I don't know who rejected you, abused you, uh, despised you, molested you, tried to destroy you. But I do know this. I do know that if you stand on those experiences and believe about yourself based on those experiences and allow them to define you as a person, they will erode your life and maybe even destroy you. You are not what you have done in the past. You are not what others have done to you in the past. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me put it on the screen for you one more time. I want you to see it. Romans 8, verse 1. You are neither defined by your past or anyone else's past. Now that's the floor. No condemnation. Now here's the roof. The roof is no separation. You want to write that down. No separation from the love of God. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Now we may ask ourselves then, if there's no condemnation for what I've done in the past or what others have done to me in the past... What about the future? What about sins I may commit in the future? Could they condemn me? Could they cause my ruination? Could, could I somehow do something that could disqualify me from God's best intentions in my life? And now we have this roof over our head that reminds us that nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we are in Christ. Let me remind you of one of the great hymns of all times. It's great. We should sing it more. It is lofty, sophisticated, thoughtful, rich in implication. It's a great hymn. It goes like this. Here's the first verse. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Many of you don't know the second verse goes like this. Jesus loves me when I'm good, even when I've done the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes him sad. We all know the chorus, don't we? Would you sing it with me? Yes, Jesus loves me 
Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Now here's what the Bible says. Look at it on the screen. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, powers, height, depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news right there, right? The Bible tells me so, that nothing can separate me from his love. So let me just remind you, you are not your past. You are not what has happened to you from others in the past. And this is also true. You are not what you can do. You are not what you can do. You, you must not allow your particular skills and talents to define who you are. For example, there are former professional athletes who earn millions and millions of dollars who are now in prison or washing cars for a living. That's true. There are people who are top of the charts making millions of dollars in, in the music industry, and today they're homeless. That's a fact. You cannot define yourself on your level of accomplishment now because when your youth is gone or your strength is gone or your talent is eroded, when tragedy hits, some capacity you have is lost, then it, if, if you rely on that, then it means that you're lost. If that was you, you're now gone. So you, you are not what you can do. Let me help some folks in the room right now. I, I know I'm going to help a lot of people right here. You are neither how you feel. You are not how you feel emotionally. Listen, just because you're discouraged, you have the blues, or maybe even you're depressed, it doesn't mean that God is. It doesn't mean that everyone else is. So you need to be honest with your emotions. Own your emotions, of course. Okay, I feel down, discouraged, and depressed. But, but, watch, it does not have the power to separate me from the love of God. How I feel doesn't have what it takes to separate me from God's love for me. Now, I confess I'm not a gifted counselor. People call me occasionally and say, I need to talk with you. I've got problems. I need to talk to you. And I always refer them to people they should talk to. <laughs> I feel like I'm perfect, perfectly adequate to handle such situations, but as I talk to our therapists and people who've been trained in the therapeutic sciences, for example, people in our counseling center, the directors there, they will not allow me to have a key to the, to the building. I, I can't go there. If they see me coming near the door, they go, hmm, don't come in here. So with that as a qualifier, <laughs> I'm concerned that too many of us have become extreme navel gazers. We, we've become morbid in our introspection, wallowing in our emotions. We define ourselves by how we feel. It's not smart. It's not wise. I feel bad. I feel tired. I feel weak. I feel powerless. And so suddenly now, those feelings are to define us to help us self-identify as, as who I am before God. Now, again, we've got to be open and honest and real with our emotions. Denial is equally negative. I mean, you can't go around denying how you feel. But you must not allow your emotions to define who you are. You must not allow your emotions that much power to define who you are. You are not how you feel. No, you're not. So let's summarize now what we've been trying to communicate. 
You are not a person who is the sum of your talents and gifts. You are not the person who has failures and faults. You are not the person who has been mistreated and defined by the sinful actions of others. And you are not the person as defined by the way you feel in a particular moment. None of those things define you. You are the person who rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation that can accuse you. There is no separation between you and God's love for you. So we have a floor of no condemnation. We have a roof of no separation from God's love. And the walls of this house that we're constructing today is what helps define us, define our capacity, define our strengths, our gifts, our unique sense of purpose. And, and it, is, it is part of our lives through the work of God's Holy Spirit. What you don't realize is that between Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and the end of that chapter, there are, there are uh, uh, 19 times that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in these verses with 11 different characteristics that help shape us and mold us into the image that God has created us for. For example, verse 2 calls the Spirit of God the Spirit of freedom. Verse 4, the Spirit of righteousness. 5 and 6, the Spirit of holiness, life, and peace. Verse 9, the indwelling Spirit. Verse 11, the Spirit of resurrection power. Verse 13, the Spirit of self-control and victory over the flesh. Verse 14, the Spirit of leadership and guidance. Ever get lost in life, wondering what's next? He's the spirit of guidance. Verse 15, he's the spirit of adoption. Have you ever felt excluded? You ever feel like you never fit in? You ever feel like that you wonder why you're here? Listen, it's the Holy Spirit who adopts you and includes you. Verse 16 is the spirit of witness, reminding you that you are a child of God. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. The spirit of God will witness to you and remind you of your belonging to him. Verses 23 and 25, the spirit of hope, the spirit that keeps hope alive. Verses 26 and 27, the spirit of intercession. Here's my point. In the activity of the Holy Spirit, I find my definition. I find myself. In the activity of God's spirit in my life, I find out who I am. I find out my direction. I find out my strengths. I find out my gifts. I find out my meaning. I find out my purpose. I I discover my destiny in the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. You say, well, I thought I'm I'm supposed to self-realize and I'm supposed to follow my own heart and follow my own dreams. No, no. Don't trust your own heart with such important things. Trust God's Spirit because the truest thing about you is what God knows and says about you. The most defining part of you is what God says defines you. And interprets who you are. So I'm a person who stands on the solid floor of no condemnation. Over my head is the roof of no separation. And between the floor and the roof, I'm a person who is defined by my relationship with God, my intrinsic value as a human being, evidenced by God's amazing grace and sustaining love in my life. The Holy Spirit then interacts with my life on every level to give me guidance and peace and power and purpose and assurance to know who I am. So we learn, from, we learn from Romans 8. I find some things. I find, for example, that I'm free. I'm free to pursue a life of holiness. I don't have to go with the crowd. I don't have to live the way the world lives. I don't have to go, go with the current. 
I don't have to do that. I don't have to be something that the world tells me I have to be. I am free to pursue a life of holiness and godliness. I find that my body is the temple of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. I find that I'm not subject to death, but I'm under the power and influence of resurrection grace. <laughs> I find that I don't have to live in bondage to my own flesh and the appetites of my flesh because the Holy Spirit is defining me as a person of self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. I find that I do not have to wander through life confused about the next steps because the Holy Spirit guides my footsteps. Watch this. He is the leadership inside of my leadership. The most common question I get as a pastor and have for decades now is this question, how do I know the will of God? How can I find the will of God for my life? I want to do God's will. How do I find God's will? You find God's will by standing on, on, the, on the finished work of Christ confident and hopeful in his love for you and open to the indwelling work and presence of the Holy Spirit to guide your life. I find that I don't have to wonder who I am or where my parents are or what my past is or what my future will be because the Holy Spirit is the witness that says you are adopted into his family. You are a child of God. You belong here. You are included. That's what the Spirit says. I find that I never have to worry about the future because the spirit of hope is always with me. I don't, I don't know. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We have a hope of a greater resurrection. We have a hope of a great heaven. We have a hope of a greater life because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let me ask you a question. Why, why do you think that Christians have been so triumphant over the course of the last 2,000 years in the face of martyrdom? You know, there's a book that was written, Fox's Book of Martyrs, that chronicles a lot of these stories from history. And to this very day, Christians around the world are suffering martyrdom. Probably someone, a man or a woman or more than that, today somewhere in the world will be threatened to the point of their lives. Renounce Christ or die. Let me ask you a question. What is it that allows a man or a woman in the face of impending death to face into that death with such dignity and courage and grace? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, it's, it's a dreadful thought. I understand. can't even comprehend the moment. But if it were to come, and, and the hundreds of thousands of times that it has come in history, when facing the cross or facing stones or facing the stake or facing torture or facing bullets or facing the blade, beheadings and all the like. The people of faith have always responded the same way. And basically the response is this. Look, you can threaten me. You can kill me. But I am not defined by your threats. I am not defined by your bullets. I am not defined by your blades. I am defined by my hope. I have a, a, a place I stand called no condemnation. I have a roof over my head called no separation. And I am defined by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, who is the spirit of hope, whose hope does not disappoint. And men and women throughout history have stood in the face of death and said, go ahead, shoot me. Go ahead, swing the blade. Do what you got to do. I'll be with Jesus. I have a blessed hope of a resurrection fusion.
I find that I don't even have to know anything about prayer in order to be able to pray. I don't have to know how to pray. All I have to know is that I want to connect with God. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. And when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit will help us. So who do you think you are? Listen, if you think you're a body, physical body, then you'll live subject to your appetites. If you think you are your talents, then when you lose them, you will have lost you. If you think you are your past, then you will live in a cloud of condemnation with your future already written, without hope. If you think that you are your weaknesses, then you will live subject to the accusation of Satan and you will never overcome. Now here's the statement I want to put it on the screen. But if you are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, submitted to his indwelling spirit, then you are free, you are secure, you are destined, you are purposeful, you are hopeful, and you are at peace. That's the promise. You know who you are. I know who I am. I know who made me who I am, and I give God glory for it. And I'm trusting him every step of the way. I have a missionary friend who ministered throughout Mexico and entered a village one day with the unlikely name of Boca de Juan Capitan. Boca de Juan Capitan. Translation, the mouth of Captain John. Who knows how a little village in Mexico would get this name. What we do know is that it is a vile and difficult place. Difficult village. My missionary friend reports to me the account of one of the first converts in that village. A young and promiscuous teenage girl who found the Lord as her personal savior and became a very strong and powerful evangelist. And apparently, this young woman immediately became aflame and passionate for Jesus and would tell anyone who would listen about the hope she had found in him. Now, what may not come to your mind immediately, but if you think about it, is obviously true, is when promiscuous women get right with God, it's always an inconvenience for evil men. Yeah. And these men in this village began to resent the fact that she was no longer available to them sexually, but also resented her boldness and her authority and her witness for Christ. One night on the way home from church, a very horrible event happened to her. Five young men in the village captured her and very brutally mistreated her. After that event, every time they would see her, they would remind her of what they had done to her in order to humiliate. In spite of it all, my friend reports, because he knows this woman personally, she seemed to radiate, radiate, radiate a confidence, an authority, a peace. My friend said that he could sit and listen to her preach for hours. Apparently, she was just, she's a firebrand for God. And so compelling to hear her preach the gospel. <laughs> One night, my friend asked her, how are you able to go through an experience of both your past and this horrible rape and, and come to this bold and confident and clear-eyed authority of your faith in Christ and what he means to you? And this is what she said to my friend, and I quote, she said, those men are what they did. I am what Christ did. There it is. There it is. Whoop, there it is. There it is. 
That's it. Now there's light. Now there's clarity. Now there's definition. Now we can figure it out. Now we know what's going on. Life isn't about all the stuff that has happened to us. Not even the stuff we've done. Not even the special abilities we have. Life is about connecting with the finished work of Christ and standing on that and trusting in a hopeful way that nothing we do, past, present, or future, will ever separate us from God's love. And that in the meantime, the Holy Spirit of God is fashioning us uniquely, individually, into the persons that God has called us to be, filled with all of the opportunity, the access, the inclusion, the influence, and the hope that that implies. They are what they did. I am what Christ did. If you're defined only by your actions, you are what you do. And all your sins, all your weaknesses, all your failures. And if that's the kind of person that you attempt to be, you'll spend your entire life in arrogant presumption that you can make yourself seem or feel or look or act or talk as if you are valuable. But you will fail as hard as you try to make yourself feel good about yourself. It won't work. There is another kind of person in the world. The kind of person that I invite you to be if you are not. This is one who has a much better chance at self-definition. He knows the floor upon which he stands. She knows the roof over her head. Who is defined by the activity of the Holy Spirit in her life. And by the finished work of Jesus Christ. The person in Jesus Christ submitted to him and loyally in love with him is a person who can say, I know who I am. I know who made me who I am. And I know who I'm, I am becoming because of his presence in my life. And I give him glory for it. Now, if you'll leave with one thing today, I hope you'll leave with that. Could we pray about this just for a moment? Let's do so. Lord, thank you for your word which lamps our feet and lights our way. Thank you. Oh God, for this wonderful assurance that we are no longer condemned and that as we love you, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Anyone in Christ in this room today now can say, I am a child of the King. I am created in his image and in his likeness. I am destined, I am called, I am adopted, I am justified, I am included, I am redeemed, I am empowered, I am free to be myself and I serve my king with a living hope and the assurance of future glory I know who I am because of him Lord speak to our hearts today so that we can receive this truth give us clarity help us to see help us to perceive it and then God give us the courage to believe it because the truest thing is what you say is true. Give us courage and boldness to say yes to this important truth, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.